we just kind of finished up. I, I got a surprise for you guys, actually. We are literally, no joke, seven weeks, well, eight weeks away from being done with the book of Matthew. Can you believe that? I almost feel like we should start it over because I can't remember what happened in the beginning. It's like it's been so long. No, we, 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 spent, we decided to kind of reverse order and do a couple different things. And so last week we had a, a pancake feed, which was awesome. We fed over 400 people. So thank you so much for being a part of that. It was fantastic. The idea of the pancake feed was the end of kind of what we've done, a two-month buildup of resurrection. The resurrection has present-day implications, meaning that if Jesus truly did rise from the dead, then that means that we are to live in light of that and not void of it and not without it. And so we spent two months working up through to the kind of the resurrection we call Easter story. And it was fun, but we, what I did is I skipped a section of two chapters to go to that so that we could do it in that place. And that's Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And we are going to um, spend the next eight weeks kind of working on that. And then we're going to end on Matthew 28, the Great Commission, because in light of Jesus' second coming, in light of his resurrection, we are called to do something. That's the Great Commission. So that's where we're going to go with this, and it's going to actually finish up at the end of May. So it's kind of bittersweet. I don't know what we're going to do. I have ideas, but either way, bittersweet. We're going to be finishing Matthew. That being said, I skipped this section kind of on purpose and, and really because uh, we're going to spend two months kind of talking about the second coming of Christ or end times. And even when I say that, some of you go like, kind of pucker up and you're like, oh, that's not good. You know, like you kind of get a little nervous or, or maybe, you've, maybe you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about with end times. But um, at the beginning, just before this chapter, chapter 24, we have to kind of go back a little bit before we start on the resurrection. Just before this was when Jesus has, was in the temple kind of confronting, kind of, he was really confronting all of the uh, wrong understandings of who God was with the religious leaders. He's doing it publicly. It was that we ended on the seven woes, so it was like this really kind of big downer of the beginning of the year for us. But I challenged all of us saying, hey, if we're gonna, if we're gonna make this year about something, let's make this year about authenticity. Let's make this a year where we look at, look at our lives, look at where God is, has, has brought us and say, this is the year where I no longer say I believe something and live my life as if I don't believe that. I no longer operate in hypocrisy and, and, and choosing to, to allow the Spirit to lead us into more authenticity this year. And so that was a challenge that I've done. And, and ultimately, Jesus does these woes. He, he hits out all these different ways where the religious leaders were being hypocritical, were being fake. They didn't understand it, and the people were following them. And then the scene is, is Jesus leaves the temple, works his way over to uh, the Mount of Olives right there, and he, he does this with the disciples. So we, we change from this public kind of ministry just before Jesus is, is arrested or goes to the Last Supper, any of that other stuff happens, he has this conversation with just his disciples. So for those of us in the room that, that, that are followers of Jesus, we're his disciples. So this is a conversation, this is a truth for us. And so he has this conversation with them, and it, it spars out of this question where the, where the disciples look back and they see the temple. And in Jesus' day, when the temple is still standing, it was glorious, it was huge. They had gold on the outside of it, these massive stones, 12 feet long and 20 feet high. Like how they moved them is, is, is a miracle in itself. And the disciples kind of look back and say, this is amazing. And Jesus starts talking about the destruction of that temple. And so they come out with these questions. Well, well when's that going to happen? How does that, that take place? And we're going to get into all of that, but we're going to get all, into all that next week. What I wanted to do this week is I wanted to talk about um, what eschatology does to us. Eschatology is the study of the end. That's where this word comes from. And for for anyone that's studied the Bible or anything, this is where you get the isms and the ists. 
beliefs that we all have on what is supposed to happen in the end times or, or Jesus' second coming. And so ultimately when we come to this, well-meaning and brilliant scholars have spent a lot of time to try and make clarity or to bring clarity and understanding to the scriptures that, that talk about this. That being said, all of them have to come to somewhat of a, a reading into what this prophecy may or may not mean, and it's, it's difficult. And, and what I realize is that you can, you can see across the board that there's a number of different ways that dividing lines have happened in this. And so I wanted to kind of, there, there's landmines to this. You could spend a little bit of time looking at any of those studies and just start doing some research online, and there's some crazy people, <laughs> crazy people saying some crazy things. And ultimately, realistically, if we're honest, we, 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 we kind of sit in one of three spots with, with, when it comes to end, to end times or eschatology. And I wanted to quote R.C. Sproul real quick. He says it this way, and I, I think it's good. He says, debates over eschatology will probably continu continue until the Lord returns. And we have the advantage of hindsight rather than the disadvantage of foresight. The divisions that exist within the Christian community are understandable, considering that both the subject matter and the literary genre of future prophecy are exceedingly difficult. This does not mean that we may push the Bible aside and, or neglect its eschatological sections. Woo, big word. On the contrary, the interpretive difficulties call us to get greater diligence and persistence in seeking their solution. And this is the part I like. In seeking solutions, however, we, we should remember that Christian church in virtually all her branches, so every aspect of the Christian church we know, has refused to make any one of the interpretations an article of the creed. So meaning all of these isms and ists and everything like that, the Christian church as a whole has said, we're not going to make one of them the main thing. But, as there he is, the preference has been to accept as Christian as Christian, any person who believes in the visible return of Jesus Christ. So the, 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 the common belief that we're all going to struggle and we're all going to wrestle with is that Jesus is going to return. And then it says, so while personally we may have very different views concerning eschatology, our model should be in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And so there are a lot of weird beliefs, and some of you are going, oh, man, I don't know if I, I came on the wrong Sunday if we're going to be in this, right? Like you're kind of wrestling with this a little bit. But, but really, if we're really honest, all of us either at one point or another or at this very existence kind of sit in three really dangerous spots when it comes to end-time belief or understanding. And, and the, the first one is, well, there, there are kind of three. There's fear, fear in what this may mean and what this looks like. There's fixation, you know, so there's this like the people that are buying tanks because they're excited about it, like, oh, man, let's buy a tank. Let's get some ammo. This is going to happen, right? And then there's, and then there's false meaning that most of us just believe that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really, we don't really care, and so we just kind of move on from it, and we just, just pretend like it's not going to happen. Well, there are issues with all three of those. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to talk about those issues, and what I think that we should maybe, in light of what we're going to be studying in the next few weeks, should maybe posture ourselves with and allow, and allow those things to come and then work through them there. So the, the first one is, is um, fixation. I, <laughs> we had a garage sale last weekend, and a guy, there was like an old old, old boat tank that I had from my parents' house that I had a garage sale, and this guy buys it, and he, he yells at Dan and I on the way out, well, you know, the end times are coming. Need all the gas I can get. And there's this fixation on buying stuff and buying beans and, and getting everything in ready because who knows when this trials and the tribulation and all this other stuff could happen, and people are so fixated on the end times that that's the point. They've made the point what's going to happen to them. They've made the point, okay, well, what's it going to look like and how are we going to do it? And realistically, most of us 
we've gotten our beliefs for end times just kind of passed down from culture or we've just gotten kind of what our parents said or what we read some novel about. And, and the danger in that is that if we, if we fixate ourselves on it, we miss the point because we're called to be fixed on one thing alone. In fact, the author Hebrews tells us we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're not to be fixated on anything else. So yes, the end times are coming. Who knows when, right? Lots of crazy people have tried to make it seem like they know exactly when, when just in case you're wondering, Jesus says, not even I know when it's coming. Only the Father in heaven knows that. But we get so fixated on it that we, we lose kind of purpose and point in our life when really the only thing we're ever called to be fixated on is Christ. So it may be in this situation, I think this is probably a smaller group of this generation or this group in here with the fixation. Probably more of us fit in the fear or the false area. False is this idea that we, we move through life with kind of this tendency to believe that there is more out there, but we just spend all our energy, time, and life worrying about the stuff today. Like, honestly, I mean, honestly, if you were to ask, if I were to ask this and you asked, answer this honestly, when was the last time you thought about Jesus coming back? I mean, when was the last time that that was even a thought in your mind? When did that enter any decision you made, whether it was to school or moving or work or family or future? When was the last time you actually thought about, man, he's coming back? The problem is a lot of us operate as if it just doesn't matter. The downside to assuming that is that without that, we can live and exist very quickly in the fear section and the lack of hope section. So being fixated on all this stuff isn't working, and, and to just assume that it doesn't happen and, and spend all our energy and life on, on, on stuff in this world and not anything kingdom purpose, that's not it either. But really, if we were really, really honest, if you've not spent any time studying end times for yourself, if you've not spent any time reading through any of the, the scriptures in this, then you've, you've, you probably land in, in the fear side of things. You land in the fear side of things where you where you experience fear from what it may mean, fear from where it is. And some of you, maybe I would say it this way, maybe you have a healthy fear, right? Your fear is, well, if Jesus came back tomorrow, I don't know if I really like where my life's at right now. And so there's this fear of like, well, you'd probably see me focused on a few other things. But I'm gonna hijack this just a little bit. If we're really honest, and you look at the climate, like other than, if you go to social media, other than the cool time-wasting like little funny video clips you can always see, right? One of the next clips that's gonna be like inundated with every single one of our timelines or any other spot in the news is fear-based stuff. Fear, fear of who may take the office, right? Fear of, well, if this happens, what do we do here? And fear of, well, if I'm not this good enough mom, or I'm not this good enough this way, or I'm not doing enough this, everything is motivated by fear. Granted, this is a, a posture in which a lot of us may struggle with end times. I think that if we're honest, we're moving our life right now full of fear. We're afraid that we're not good enough at something. We're afraid that we're not doing enough of something. We're afraid that we've done too much of something. Right? Just fear and fear and fear. There is a whole lot in the Bible about fear. We're only called to fear one thing. It's the one thing we're called to fear. God. But yet, if we're honest, and every one of us that said God, how many times do we fear so many other things? 
We're called to fear God alone, and that's a reverential, awe-inspiring fear of God, meaning I am unworthy to be a part of your holiness, but because of what Christ has done for me in the resurrection, I'm invited into that spot. We're called to fear God and God alone, but yet you and I are riddled with fear. And so I thought, just if you hear nothing else today, if you hear nothing else today, maybe just these few verses I just grabbed out of the Bible would be for you in fear. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Philippians 4, 6-7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear. It doesn't say, so okay, maybe fear. He says, no, don't fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43, 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Fear not. 1 Peter three fourteen. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. And then my favorite one, you ready? This is out of the mouth of Jesus, Mark 5 through 6. Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Well, that one's easy. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) Like, right? Don't be afraid, just believe. Our fear is, is in competition with our belief. And I believe this, that if we are afraid of end times, then we are understanding the beauty and the joy of Jesus coming. And we're not focused in the way that we're supposed to be. And so these these fear-ridden people, so afraid of what may it mean, and so we just run from it, or we're afraid of what we've seen other people before us study it and how they've kind of become crazy. But fear is not what we're called to live by in any regard. So whether it's end times or anything else, this is just free. For those of you that are are riddled with fear, God is, is, is commanding you to not be afraid. So don't be afraid. Don't be fixated on it, and don't pretend like it doesn't happen. You know that there are 318 references to Jesus' second coming in the New Testament alone? 318. One out of 13 verses mention it, and nearly every single moral command in the New Testament is tied to his second coming. So it is obviously here for a reason. Jesus has this last bit of time prior to him being crucified, and he's with his disciples alone, and he chooses to lean in to this discussion. He chooses to push into it and say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to talk about this right now. And what Jesus says is, is hard for us to understand, but is not confusing. We have confused it. And there's really virtually no way to study the scripture well without studying it with some bent of your own ism or ist belief. And so, so we're going to try and navigate those things. But before we do that, before we even get into that next week, I wanted to challenge all of you with what I believe kind of four basic things that we should operate out of when it comes in regards to the second coming of Jesus. Not fear, not fixation, not this fault, like it's false, like it's not going to happen. But there's, there's, there's a way for us to be ready for it. There's a way for us to be inclined and in tune with it that isn't fear-based or fixation or, or this false as if it doesn't matter. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about those. The first one is, is a spiritual alertness. This is something that the New Testament writers, you see every single person that talks, the Apostle Paul, Peter, John, any one of them, you see them talk about Jesus' second coming, you know what you see out of them? 
and eagerness. They're, they're, they're eager about his second coming. They're excited about it. They're, it's coming. And there's this, there's this eagerness about Jesus showing up again. Well, here, let's, let's, let's have a moment of honesty, like for me. I honestly can say this. Half the time I think about, maybe even more, half the time I think about Jesus coming back, it's always a, man, I hope he comes back. But I would really love to see my next child born. I hope he's here. I hope he comes up. I'm excited. But it kind of be cool to see my kids get married, have grandkids. And what I realize is that my spiritual alertness, I've got idols in the way, and they're my kids. So if you, if you, if you, when you think about Jesus coming back, and you're like, come back, but we really wanted to have a kid first, but I really wanted to get married first, but I really want to graduate school first, but I, you're, you're, God is identifying idols in your life. Look, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting those things. Like, there's nothing wrong for me to want to see. Hopefully a boy, right, on my fourth kid. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Poor kid's going to be scarred if it's a girl. Please pray for me. Either way, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But when I want that more than Jesus coming, there's something desperately wrong with me. And it's an idol. See, spiritual alertness, this, I'm going I'm to pick on some generation college students. If you're going, man, I, I can't wait to surrender my all to Jesus as long as I get done with school first and get my marriage and get everything situated, then I'm going to follow you. That's not a spiritual alertness. That's a procrastination, and it may work for you in getting a C or a B or an A on your test, but that's not the way that God's kingdom works. Seasoned individuals in here, people with a bit more age, you don't get a check out. I'm just done. I did my time. The kids went to college, or I'm out. I did what I needed to do. no. A spiritual alertness is that you're still in the fight. You're still in the battle. Like you're, you're ready for this. this. This is kind of an ill thought. If you, if you right now, if Jesus were to show up today, like just in case you're wondering, a little spoiler alert, it's, Jesus says it's going to happen like a thief in the night. Now, I don't know if you've ever been robbed, but you weren't ready for it, okay? <laughs> just in case you're wondering, you weren't like, oh, I totally saw that coming. I should have locked the door better. Like, no, like, like you, you weren't ready for it. And that's the way that this, is, that this is spoken about. It's also, by the way, going to be very, very clear, despite what we may want to understand. Like, it'll be very clear when Jesus shows up. We're not going to be like, hmm, that's weird. I wonder who that is. Like, you'll know it's Jesus, okay? <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. If you're, if you're not at all alert, then, then here's what's happening. Right now, you're, you're, you're carrying around sin. And if Jesus were to show up today, you'd be like, man, Bren, why are you still battling that? And he's not going to shame me or guilt me, but, but if I'm spiritually alert to this, if I'm eager about his second coming, then the choices I make today are in light of that. Not an assumption that it may or may not happen. They're in light of that, saying, oh, he is going to come back. Therefore, I'm on purpose today. I need to be alert for that. Second thing that comes out of us being ready for this is a mission urgency. Honestly, if you're a follower of Jesus, you could probably, without even thinking hard, name a handful of people that you deeply care about that don't have the hope of Jesus. Without even thinking hard, family members, friends, maybe it's your spouse. Like you, you can, without even thinking hard, you know, to try. And yet, most of us operate as if, yeah, you know, it'll happen someday. If we're eager about Jesus coming back, we don't want it to happen someday. We want them to follow Jesus today. 
We want them to experience the hope and the freedom that we just spent two months talking about because of the resurrection of Christ. There's this urgency for us where it's like, okay, well, you know what? Jesus has called us to be um, the light and the salt on this earth, and I'm going to do that today. Okay, God's got me in, in this sport. He's got me at this job. He's got me with these kids. He's got me getting close to this retirement. What in all of those spots where God has you, how does it play a part of the mission? Look, I'm, I'm not old school enough to know what it was like for the revival, but I kind of feel like the one thing that those individuals got right was a sense of urgency. They, they saw the urgency and the desire to see, well, Jesus comes back. I want to invite all of my friends and family into that. And meanwhile, some of us, me included, we, like I have family that doesn't know Jesus. And ask me the last time I've actually like prayerfully been on my knees pleading God for his spirit to break in. No urgency. Because I got, I got so many other things to do. You know, I got, got this retirement. I got this you know, school. We got these, these athletics for our kids. We got all these other things. Got, oh, man, I got all these tests. All these things. And they're good things. I'm not saying they're bad things, but we put them way before the mission. As a follower of Jesus, it's, you are not free from that mission. You're not void from it. There's urgency to it. Jesus is coming. There's an eagerness to it. He's coming. I want my friends to have his hope. I want my family to have his hope. Mission urgency. It's like we're, it's like some of us are, (laughs) we're riding along on the Titanic and we're we're changing the patio furniture around because we just don't like the way it's going to look when it hits the water. You know, like, mm, I think that chair would look so much better when it hits the water here. Like, we're focused on the wrong things. We spend so much energy. You know what's funny to me? If you're even mid-30s, you've spent so much energy and time of your life trying to figure out what you're going to do when you retire for that short window of time. When, when we have an eternity of kingdom work that we're supposed to be doing right now. Life is, is painfully short, and when the master returns, I want to be ready. And you, I know you do too, and so yeah, do your work. Get married and have kids and go to school and do your work and save money and do all those things. That's great, but, but do them in light of the fact that the mission is first. That you get to go to school as a follower of Jesus, not that you're going to school, oh, and I'm a follower of Jesus. That you get to have family or you get to be married as a follower of Jesus. Those things cannot be the thing because they're unfortunately temporal. The kingdom's purposes are for you today, so mission urgency. The third thing that we get out of this is what Tim Keller points out is the power to forgive. He says it this way. He says that if you believe in Jesus' return, then that gives us the power to forgive because when someone wrongs us, instead of us wanting justice or vengeance, we know that ultimately God's gonna set it all right. So we can be free from the root of bitterness that comes from unforgiveness. We can be free from carrying around this nasty, dark, sinful thing that is bleeding into every other relationship in our life. Because now Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he's righting every wrong. It's all done. There's no, oh, I hope he fixes this. I wonder if he's going to do something with the window treatment here. Like, none of that. He's just going to clean it up. He's going to finish everything. And so when we 
live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Not only are we eager and excited and ready to see our spiritual life work, not only are we on mission saying he's coming any day now, so I want this person to have the hope and the freedom in Christ, we're also able to forgive because we know ultimately that Christ is going to right all. And so I can forgive someone who wrongs me because it's a broken, messed up world. Someone's gonna sin against me, I'm gonna sin against someone. It gives us the power to forgive. Gives us the ability to forgive. So when we spend time looking and understanding more of what the second coming of Jesus looks like and what it means for these end times, we can go, I have freedom and hope and power to forgive, so therefore I don't need to carry around this baggage. And some of you, you guys are you're poisoning your life with your bitterness and your unforgiveness. Here's the worst part. You believe it's not affecting you. That goes back to that spiritual alertness. You're not paying attention. Someone wronged you. It gives you the freedom to say, I, for, I forgive you. I, I take on that wrong because ultimately everything is going to be accounted for before Christ. The, the fourth thing that paying attention to the second coming of Jesus does for us is it it brings about hope in this suffering, dark world. Think of it this way. If, if, if I live my life not assuming that Jesus is going to come back and then I experience the darkness that we all experience in this horrific world, it leaves me so short of hope. So short because it's like, man, when is this going to change? This is never going to change. If I live as if it's going to be my grandkids' problem when Jesus sets up again and shows up, like I, I lose hope. So when I lose a friend to, to death or when you, when you experience a heartbreak or you see the, the horrific things of, of mass shootings or the ugliness that happens in, in the politics and all these things that come, you can go, oh, Jesus, come back, please. This is, this is a mess. And I just, we just need that hope because it's not going to get any better. I'm not gonna fix any of it. I might be able to be a part of light and hope and joy and seeing someone in salvation come, but that's God's work anyways. I might be a part of, of freeing some, some individuals or people that are trafficked or struggling that, or we might be able to see all kinds of aspects. This isn't a plea to not be a part of mission. Remember, mission is important, but it's recognizing that the only way we're gonna see full redemption is when Christ shows up. So we long for that. We long for him to come in and, and breathe life into a lifeless people. We long for him to show up and, and, and finally rule what he has set in motion to rule all along. We, we can have hope. Peter asks, the apostle Peter asks us what sort of people ought we to be in, in, in the lives of holiness and godliness. So he's, he's saying in First Peter, he's talking about what does it look like to be, like what people are we called to be? And then given the reality of the impending return of Christ, like Peter says, it's so funny, in First Peter 4, he says, perhaps probably the most explicit challenge to us, all of us, ready? He says, 1 Peter 4, 7 9, the end of all things is at hand. So the end of all things is coming, and Peter says, so quit your jobs. So stop going to school. So just give up on everything. The end of times are coming. Stop, stop paying taxes. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say any of that stuff. He says the end of times are coming. And you know, you know what he, he challenges us with? End of times are coming. Doesn't say abandon your family. Doesn't say abandon your church. Instead, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly and show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter says, look, end times are coming. Press into it. Live in light of it. It's a way for us to live. I was trying to think of a word like this confident, 
earnestness without being crazy. I don't, I don't know how to necessarily come across this, right? It's this, it's, this, it's this confidence that we can have that Jesus is coming. So therefore, I'm called to live a specific way today, not like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, the next day, or when I graduate, or, you know, summer break will be so much easier, or, or you know, when the kids are older, then I will. No, we, we can be earnestly going after right now, not in, in a sense where we're working ourselves in the ground, because we still Sabbath, we still, rel- we still rest. But we can, we're, we're called to press into it, to love one another, to push into this, to, to be more on mission. There's a reason why we decided to do resurrection, second coming, and great commission. Because in light of the resurrection, Jesus is coming back again. Well, what do we do today? We got some work. He's commissioned us. And so we, we, can, we can live with some eagerness. And my challenge to you is, is if, you, if you don't spend any time thinking about it, if you don't ever plead, God, show up, please come, without a but, can you do it in 2018 because I have some really cool plans in the next two years? We don't, if we don't ever spend any time in that, then there's a good chance that we're not living as if he is coming. And if we're not living as if he is coming, there's a very good chance that we're not loving, we're not on mission, and we're not doing the things that God's called us to do. The very things he freed us to do and then gave us the power to do them. So as we dig into these incredibly difficult words for us to understand, the ones that Jesus has said that we have confused the snot out of, if we, if we, if we press into that with a readiness and eagerness and alertness, it can't help but change the way you interact with every single person in your life, whether you're in school, married, retired, you know, half dead, whatever, wherever you are. Right? It, change, it changes you. And so my, my, my challenge is you don't operate in fear. Don't get fixated on it. Be fixated on, on Christ alone. Let's, let's get on mission. And as we dig in, I, I promise you, I, I would encourage you guys, you guys can spend some time studying this. I, I would encourage you as you study to do it in community. Make sure you, you check your resources. There's a lot of people that love to just talk about this stuff. But it, it, when we fix our eyes on the fact that Jesus is coming, again, we no longer have to be fixated on, well, who's president because that could suck. Or, man, what am I going to do this year when school graduates? Or what am I going to do with these kids? They're, they're monsters. Or, like, what, like, we don't have to, we don't have, those things are still going to be present. They're going to be so present in our life, but we can go, ah, Jesus, come. Please come. Redeem it all. If we're really honest, every single one of us, whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, we're really honest. Every single one of us that surrendered our life to Christ, whether it was a, a month ago or 20 years ago, we yearn for Jesus to come. It's in us. We maybe don't have verbiage for it or words for it, but we just desire for him to come and redeem everything. We want to see him break in and, and crush all of the, d- the darkness in this world and bring light and bring this new earth, and this new heaven. We want to see what that looks like. But we forget sometimes that, that, that we're supposed to live as though he is coming. 318 times in the New Testament alone, I think he really wants us to understand that he's coming back. That's for us to be part of. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna worship. And I'm, I think what, maybe what God's calling us to in this season as we look to be more authentic is that maybe, have you ever had someone stop by your house unannounced and it happened to be like, 
the busiest week before in your house, I mean, was a mess. You know, you're like, you're kind of embarrassed at that. Like, it takes a lot for me to get embarrassed by that, but either way, like, my wife was embarrassed about it, right? So, (laughs) this idea that, like, we weren't ready for guests, and guests showed up. And that's a silly, silly example, but, but my fear is a lot of us aren't ready for Jesus, and he is going to show up. I don't care where you land on your millennialism or where you land on, your, on your, your shuns or whatever else it may be or your is, or he's coming. And he says, be ready for it. Pay attention to it. To be ready doesn't mean to think about it some 20 years from now. To be ready means today, I, what was God calling me to do today to understand it and to know it? Not out of fear or fixation or because we don't believe it's true, but because we know it's true. And therefore, because it's true, we desire to live today in light of the fact that he's showing up and changes you. You can't help but be changed by that reality. So my desire is that every single one of us would move in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when. We can't even predict when. But it's going to happen. And he's called us. He's commanded us. He's given us his spirit to do so, to say, hey, now be ready. Be ready. God, we pray for readiness. Lord, for, for every one of us, we've, we've, um, we've been caught off guard by so many things in our lives. We've been caught off guard by uh, the darkness that broke in. We've been caught off guard by a, a car breaking down or, or an illness. We've been caught off guard by um, just the brokenness in this world. God, may we never, ever be caught off guard by the fact you're coming. May we be ready. May we be fixated on Jesus Christ looking to him to see when he's going to come and redeem it all, when he's going to fix everything, all brokenness, when he will come and win and defeat. Lord, may we be a people that aren't motivated by fear, except for fear of you, God. Be a people motivated, aren't motivated by uh, fixation on things that don't matter. God, forgive us for spending so much energy and time in our lives on stuff that's going to burn. Help us to spend more energy and time by your spirit on the things that matter. God, for those of us that, that are in need of a spiritual cleaning, God, or you need to come in and do some serious housework, God, I pray that you would just humble us in a spot where we would just let your spirit sanctify us for your glory and your glory alone. God, as we worship, we worship you as broken people in need of your grace, but God, I pray that we would worship you more and more eager upon your second coming, upon your return. May we be fixated on Christ in all things, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.